0: Last week I shared with you, after my mom had just passed away, I was sharing how incredible it is to have this generational blessing and how we, by the choices that we make in our lives, that we have the choice, according to the word of God, that we have the choice to either leave two things, that we can leave a curse for the generations after us, for three or four generations by the choices that we make, sexual sin for 10 generations for the choices that we make, or we have the choice to leave a blessing for a thousand generations. And we were so excited when we thought about, you know, my mom and and what what the life that she lived and how incredible she was, how beautiful she was, that she was leaving behind a a generational blessing for a thousand generations to come. Now, that's exciting. That's really, really exciting. It's really exciting for me as her daughter that I can now say, okay, mom, I'm finishing the work that you started. And then I see my daughters, my daughters up here um, taking the work even from me and saying, come on, mom, I'm doing this too. And then this morning... My granddaughter, as soon as the music started, she's just thirteen months old. The music started this morning, and there was all these people sitting behind us, and I was holding her in my arms, and we stood up, and she just straight away just put her hand, little hand, straight up like that, and then she turned around and just glared at everybody. For ages, with this hand in the air, like this, as if to say, What are you doing? You're in the house of God, lift that hand up. And, so, and, then, and then she looked at Phil and he had his hand and she said, oh, Poppy's got his hand, hide them mine. she went. It was just so beautiful to see that. But you know what? Just as much as we, as the generational leaders or the head of generations, have a choice by the decisions we make to leave a generational blessing, also, the generations after us have a choice whether they want to receive that or not and whether they want to walk in it. And after all the hard work that one generation has done, if the next generation does not pick up the baton, if the next generation doesn't take and say, thank you so much and get onto the shoulders of the generation before them and saying, I'm going to go further than you. I'm going to go higher than you. I'm going to be more blessed than you. My kids are going to be more blessed than I was because I'm going to stand on the shoulders of the generation before me and I'm not going to take for granted that which has been handed to me, that which has been fought for. But I'm going to take this generational blessing and I'm going to make sure that it goes down through the thousand generations after me. And I will not be the one that stands in between the blessing and my generation to say, well, that was nice for you, but it stops here. Because that's the choice that we have as the next generation. And when I look around me and I see the generation rising up, I see a generation that are frustrated. I see a generation that are hungry for something different. I see a generation that look at us and the way that we do things and say, you know what, we could do it much better than you. And I'm going to say this to you tonight, you can do it better. And you should do it better. And you should do it differently than we have done it. Because if we did it the way that our forefathers done it, we'd all be bored, stupid right now. Amen. Because we have to move with the generations. We have to move with the times. I was reading something this afternoon, and it was a secular thing uh, that you can actually download. And it says how to connect with Generation Y. How to understand Generation Y. How to... How to yeah, it was a secular thing. And I started to read it, and I started to think, man, we really need this stuff. I mean, you know, because why? Because this generation is 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 right on the forefront of perhaps the return of Jesus Christ. I mean, these generations that are come, I'm talking about, we've got generation, generation, generation. I'm talking about 14, 15-year-olds right now that have something that I need. But they're holding back, There's generations holding back because they just don't quite know what it is just yet. Amen? And I'm looking at ones right now, even right across this auditorium. Young people, even people in their 20s, they go, I feel something in my spirit. Even there's some older women, older men in this place right now, and you know that there's a stirring in your spirit that there's something to come. You know that that God is saying something. But you don't, Ali, I know that you feel that. I know that you know that God is up to something, but you don't quite know what it is, and so you don't know how to put it in words or how to, how to uh, communicate it to the next generation. But it's so important that we get a hold of this as generations. Get a hold of what God is doing before he does it so that we can all move in together. Amen into the new place in God. Let's have a look at the scriptures. We're going to read from Malachi 4, 5, but let me preempt this by saying this. Malachi is the last book of the Old Testament. And in the Old Testament, God would speak to men through his prophets. He would send a prophet with the word of God, and the prophet would speak to the people on behalf of God. Amen. And so Malachi is the last word that God gave to a prophet to speak to mankind before the New Testament. And do you know that between the book of Malachi and the book of Matthew, which is the New Testament, there was 400 years of silence where God didn't speak. God didn't speak to man for 400 years. Years there was silence, the heavens were closed, there was silence, and so I kind of think. I mean, if Garth, if I wasn't going to speak to you for 400 years, right? I kind of think that I'd want to say something really important to you as my last not my last will and testament. I'm not dying if I could live for 400 years. Well, that's why I can't live for 400 years, like anyway. I do. I live eternally, Philip. But if I was going to say something to Garth, or even my husband. Husband, I'm not going to speak to you for 400 years. And he said, oh, thank you, Jesus, He goes, <laughs> That means 3,000 words a day for 400 years. I, Yes, freedom, he says, freedom. He lives in a house full of women. Yeah, five, five women he had in his house when the girls were growing up. Now he's got Joey, he's got six women at him all the time and we all need to talk to process our thoughts. And so he's a good listener. But imagine, imagine, Phil, if I came to you and said, darling, I'm going to be quiet for 400 years. Yeah, but I've got something to say. Would you listen? Yeah, you would say, man, this must be really, really, really important what God is about to say right now because it's the last thing he says before 400 years of silence and then the coming of the Messiah in the book of Matthew. And so this is the very last thing that God says through the prophet Malachi. Malachi 4.5 See, I will send you the prophet Elijah before that great and terrible day of the Lord comes. And this is the main point here. He will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers or else I will come and strike the lamb with a curse. We have to understand here what God is saying. God's just not talking about natural fathers and natural children. And he's not just talking about men and children. He's talking about Generations of people who turn their hearts to one another. He's talking about fathers and mothers of the Spirit who turn their hearts to the children of the Spirit and call them into being and push them on to reach all that they could possibly reach with every blessing that they can conjure up. He's talking about children. Spiritual children who turn to their non-spiritual parents. I'm not talking just natural parents, but older people. And these spiritual children turn to these older people who are not walking with God, and they turn them towards the right way. Amen? See, we're not talking about just the grown-up people here. We're not just talking about the pastors having a say, and all the young people just sitting and saying, yes, sir, no, sir, three bags full, sir. We're talking about generations ministering to generations. I'm saying right here that there is something that we have as a generation of people to give to you as young people. You know, that person that you're sitting right next to right now who may look a little strange to you because they're a bit older, They have something in their hand to give you, amen. And that young person that you're sitting next to, older person, they are not just strange, weird teenagers. They actually have something to say. And I believe that there is a voice that is arising in young people right now that is going to totally astound us. I believe they have ideas and thoughts. I believe they're a generation of miracles. I believe that the generation of the 14, 15, 16-year-olds right now will walk in miracles that we have only dreamed of. Will lay hands on the sick because they're hungry for it. They're going to watching Harry Potter. They're, They're dying for church to be something other than just stand up, sit down, sing a few songs, hear a few words and go home. They want God and I want God and we want God. And so if we join together, what a difference we could make. Together. I think the saddest thing in the world, the saddest thing in the world for me right now is that I would have spent my lifetime preparing the way of the Lord for the next generation, and the next generation just go, nah, no thanks. Uh, nah, you're weird. You know, I've got my own thing to do. Yeah, that was good for you, but you know what I mean? Because you don't just sow for yourself, do you? None of us sow. We don't sow seed of our very lives like Pastor Phil was speaking about this morning. We don't get down on our knees and give everything that we are, every breath that we have to something if we don't totally, totally, totally believe in it. And when you totally, totally believe in it, you don't just want it for yourself. You want it for everybody, every single person, and especially young people. You know, I think of Phil and Chris Pringle because moves of God come and moves of God go. Is that right? They come. They come to a generation. They stir a generation up, a move of God, a visitation of God. A holy wave of the Spirit comes through, stirs a generation up and then that generation take it and they ride the wave as far as they can until the next generation comes along and they wait for the next wave to come in. Amen. You see, there's a rolling of waves in the Spirit of God. There's a tide that's coming in. But this time, the tide is coming in so slowly, so gently that we have to have ears to hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. And I think of um, Phil and Chris Pringle, who perhaps are just a little older than Phil and I, and they were saved in the Jesus Revolution. It was a a revolution that hit New Zealand. I mean, it hit other countries as well, but man, or man, did it hit New Zealand. And it went right through, and all these young hippies all over the world just got saved in the 60s. And they were starting to throw away their drugs and their free love and all their stuff and get radically saved for Jesus. And they went out into the streets and they started preaching to people in the streets and they were radical believers of Jesus Christ. All across the world, hippies got saved. And today, those hippies are running the biggest churches in the world right now. But they're nearly 60 they're not young hippies anymore. They're still passionate. They're still giving it everything they've got. And I believe people like Phil Pringle will be on the pulpit preaching and he'll just go to heaven because he'll never give up. But how sad would it be if he turned around and there was no one following? If he turned around and there wasn't another generation who were ready to catch the next wave of glory. Phil and I got radically, we were radically saved, both of us, with encounters with Jesus Christ at home in our own rooms. But then when we came into the church, we loved the church, but for years the church was dry. It was dry. You know, you young people, you think this is dry. Whew. You know, I think we went 4 years without seeing a salvation. No altar calls. We gave up praying for the sick because no one ever got healed. And, uh, And the pastors were discouraged. And it wasn't just like one movement or one denomination. It was the church. And we were at this place, Phil and I, where we just went, we'll do anything to just get the gospel out there. And we went out and we started this country band. And we went touring in Tamworth trying to preach the gospel through country music we were that desperate to get outside the church walls and for something to happen and god spoke to me clearly as i was singing on the stage at tamworth and i looked out over the crowd and one minute i see them all applauding me yeah, singing along with their little their little hats on and all that stuff and i'm singing i'm singing some i'm singing some lukewarm song trying to get a gospel message across do you know what I'm saying, in a lukewarm way, so I won't offend them. And inside I've got a prophet's anointing busting inside of me. And I'm looking over this crowd and the next minute the, I had this vision and the whole crowd turned into people being pulled into hell and screaming out to me, help, help, help. And I'm standing there singing a stupid country song, hoping they'll get the message. And I was like, I was singing and it was, I was in this vision and I, did, and I was just like overwhelmed. We finished that set. I walked off the stage. I turned to my bed and I said, I'm giving it up. I'm going to preach the gospel in power and in truth. And I'm not cutting any corners. I'm going all out for Jesus. I don't know how I'm going to do it. I don't know what doors he's going to open. But I'm going through and I'm going to do this right. Amen. And then it wasn't very long after that. That Phil and I, like the lepers, we heard about this, the spoils in this city. These four lepers were sitting at the gates and all the Israelites were starving. And they wanted to get in and get the spoils, but they thought there were giants in there, thought there was armies in there. So the four lepers said, we're dying anyway, so we might as well just go in there and see if there's any food. Because if they kill us, they kill us because we're half dead anyway. We've got bits hanging off everywhere. So in they go and they get the spoil and there's no giants, there's no enemy and God is with them and everybody gets the spoil and it's a happy ending. So Phil and I go off to this place where we hear that God is moving. We get radically blasted by God. We, we got so blasted by God that we drove home from Valor Beach and we were both dumbstruck. I mean, that's a miracle for me. I could not say that I literally couldn't speak for 400 years. No. From, from Valor Beach to here, I was silent. And I don't mean I just didn't speak. I mean, I couldn't. I just, no. Nah. There was nothing you could say. There was not one word that you could say. One English word to each other about what we experienced would have totally defiled the holiness of what God had done to us. And so we just shut up and just drove home. And it was in that moment that God began to stir us. And the call of God began to rise up in our lives and God began to reveal to us. You know what? When God said, to us, because we're praying, God, we need a church in Wyong. We just need a church in Wyong. God sends, we've been praying 10 years. We've been kicking down the altars of the witches and everything. God, come, we need a church in Wyoming, we need a church. God, send somebody, send somebody, and all that. And no one wanted to come. And we say, God, send somebody, send somebody. And God turns around, and says, you. And I laughed my head off. I said, what? And uh, Phil was the shyest guy he'd ever want to meet in the world. He wouldn't even talk in public. And um, and I think the first time you got to preach, you, you said some funny things. Yeah, I think you said Hossier. Now we're going to preach from the book of Hossier or something. like. And um, it was just like, what? Ask God. You know, what are you talking about? But God just, he didn't want someone great. He didn't want someone who knew how to do it. He just wanted someone who would do what he told them to do and be willing to fall down on their knees and say, yes, God, send me. If no one else to go, send this fool. Because someone's got to love these people. Someone's got to carry this baton. Someone's got to take this revival out and do something with it. Someone's got to plan a church here. Someone's got to have somewhere where these poor people can get saved and set free and healed and delivered. If it's going to be anyone, let it be us. So what? And we were so dependent on God that we just hung on to his feet. Every step of the way, we'd stop, we'd fast. We fasted so much, we were skinny as anything. We did 40-day fasts on water. We were just desperate for God. And God did an amazing thing. Amen. And then we fought for this land, and then we met in a tent for five years. And the rain and the hail and the storms came. and. The fires, no, we didn't get a fire. We got every, yeah, we got fires, round round. Everything came against us. And it was just like, just stand, just stand, just keep fighting, just keep fighting. And we knew that we were not fighting for ourselves. We knew we weren't fighting just so we'd have a fancy building and a fancy church so everybody go, aren't you cool, you know? No, we're fighting so that we would have a generation of people after us who didn't have to fight as hard as we did. Who didn't have to pay the price that we pay. Who didn't have to lay down their lives and fight devils all the way and scream to the heavens and fast and pray to we're nearly dead. See these shoulders. His shoulders and his shoulders. They're only little shoulders. We're just little people. But we serve a huge God. And if you want to, You can stand on these shoulders and you'll never have to fight the battles that we fought nor the devils that we fought. Because when you stand up, they'll say this to you. Jesus we know. Phil and Julie we know. And we know you too. Do you understand what I'm saying? And my heart is so so passionate for you you all of you but particularly for us as mature people to get these young people and put the fire underneath them and, and release the fire in their bellies you know when we had that prayer meeting ten days of prayer and fasting and and and, and I and Phil and, and a couple of the guys it was like three people four people the first few nights and it was like all right, well, it was just us. Because Phil and I said that. It was just us. We're going to do it, darling. We're breaking through to another level. We're going to do this, darling. And there we were, me and Phil and Frank, I think it was the first night. And Jamie's both speakers. We blasted the worship music. We prayed our guts out. And then the next night, and the next night. And then, of course, my mum got sick, so I had to go to Sydney to be with my mum. And so Phil was doing it on his own. I'm thinking, oh, poor Phil. So discouraging is there, and he believes that this is a breakthrough and nobody's there, and they're not turning up. And where's all the young people? God, don't they understand? Are they gonna miss out? Are they gonna not grab a hold of everything that we've given them? God, please, please, please don't cry out. And one night I just, I got—I drove all the way back from Sydney, I'd been awake, I think two days, awake with my mom for two days. And I drove back from Sydney and realized I didn't have the front door key that I'll just drop into the prayer meeting because no one will be there. And I can just sneak in and get out of Phil's pocket because no one will notice. And I got to the prayer meeting. all these cars. I thought, oh, there must be a comp or something inside. And that. So I went to walk into the tent. I nearly fell flat on my back. It was just full of young people. And they were like, yes, Lord. And I'm just standing there crying. I'm just going, oh, God. You know, oh, God. This is so beautiful. This is it. You know, it's not about us just pushing, pushing, pushing. But someone's got to take a hold of this blessing. Someone's got to take a hold and go. Amen. Moses, the great leader that Moses was, passed it and raised up Joshua. And they call it the Joshua generation. Powerful generation of young people who took the people into the promised land. A whole generation of young people. But do you know what? Joshua never raised anybody up. And so there was never a leader after Joshua and the whole thing fell into the hands of the judges. And we have the book of Judges where where the rulership came to judges and not to leaders and not to leadership and godly leadership. Because why? Because a generation failed to raise another generation up. Joshua was amazing, but he never raised up a predecessor. He never raised up a generation under him. And I'm passionate about you tonight. We're passionate about you tonight. I look around this room right now, there's so many young people. I'm busting for you. I really am. I'm encouraging the young people in this place. Start, you know, the prayer meetings before church, in the morning and in the afternoon, I'm not seeing any young people. Annalise came in there tonight and I thought, woo, there's one. Hailey, Hailey does. I encourage you young people to come and start to pray into what is to come. Amen. Let me encourage you with this. And these surfers would know this. You get on your surfboard when it looks like there's nothing happening out there. And you paddle out in faith that you're going to catch the big one today. And you sit on your board and you wait. And you wait. And you wait. And I've seen surfboard riders sit out there for hours just waiting for that one ride. Is that right? And I want to say to you young people, there's a wave coming. But you can't wait till the wave is on the horizon to start paddling out. You'll miss it. You need to get now on your boards right now. Start praying now. Start believing now. Start start believing for miracles. Start laying hands on the sick now. Young people, you need to start to get revival passion inside of you. You need to get behind prayer and move in Jesus' name and start riding out there right now, because I'm telling you, when that wave comes, it's gonna take you to realms that you never dreamed of. Elijah was a man just like you, it says in James five seventeen, And he prayed that it wouldn't rain for three years, and it didn't. And then he prayed that it would rain again, and it did. And he was a man just like you, young people, just like you. And when when he knew that the rain was going to come, he sent his servant out. Go out and check. And the servant went out. There's nothing. He sent him out again. Go and check again. There's nothing. And some of you young people feel like we're saying, revival's coming, a wave is coming you go, yeah, there's nothing go and have a look again and the servant went out seven times and on the seventh time he came back and he said, I see a cloud it's the size of a man's fist and Elijah went yes, get ready, the rain is coming and tonight I want to say get ready the rain is coming Look for the cloud. Come on, let's give the Lord a hand. Come on.